Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about the possible dangers of growing leafy greens in microgravity, a study that let AI tag along with a toddler to learn language the human way, and research on stabilizing elephant populations on the African savanna. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. As NASA gets set to send humans back to the moon in upcoming Artemis missions, humans have already started looking beyond the moon to Mars, and even beyond that. But as human missions in space grow longer and longer, bigger and bolder challenges pop up. And one of those has everything to do with salmonella. Okay, I'm sorry. Did you say salmonella in space? I sure did. So here's the thing. Let's say you're going to Mars. You're going to be gone for, you know, potentially years. So much of your prepackaged food can absolutely last that long. But to maintain good health, it would help to have fresh produce. Okay, and where there's fresh produce, there's a chance for bacteria that hangs out on said fresh produce. Exactly. Can't you just, I don't know, like get rid of all the salmonella before you take the seeds on board? Uh, Well, it turns out that vegetables like lettuce can carry pathogens regardless of how well they're washed. But there is a twist. A new study has found that not only do vegetables carry those pathogens along with them into space, but those pathogens behave differently in microgravity. And unfortunately, not in a good way. I didn't even think about microgravity, but it makes sense. All of those normal, everyday things we take for granted on Earth are going to be different in space. I guess foodborne pathogens wouldn't be any different. Space definitely complicates things. So for this study, researchers used a 2D model to simulate microgravity and study how it affected the interaction between salmonella and lettuce. The lettuce actually showed pretty striking differences in its natural leaf openings. Those are called the stomata, and in microgravity, they get wider. So let me guess, with wider openings, more salmonella could enter and hang around? You got it. They found that the salmonella was more effective at entering and colonizing the lettuce under those conditions. And not only that, the beneficial bacteria, called Bacillus subtilis, which helps control all those nasty pathogens, was less effective in microgravity. Great. So what you're saying is that eating a salad in space could be a pretty risky endeavor. Uh, Yeah, actually, these findings seem to suggest that the usual ways we control pathogens on lettuce won't work up there the way they do down here. That doesn't mean researchers can't figure out other ways to control them. And in fact, their study opens up further avenues of research. The only thing worse than being lost in space would be being lost in space with a bad case of salmonella poisoning. Oof, yeah, I couldn't agree more. But fortunately, science is on the case. Imagine a tiny child. Six months old. She explores the world with wide open eyes and ears, soaking up every sight and sound, piecing together the puzzle that is the world around her. Objects become more familiar, and so do the words that describe them. Yeah, I mean, I know this story pretty well. The development of language is an almost magical process that is the subject of countless studies. And even with those studies, it's still not totally understood. 
Okay, so now imagine letting an AI robot tag along with this little toddler. It can step into her tiny shoes and see the world through her eyes and hear it through her ears. Kind of sounds like the start of a crazy sci-fi movie, but I'm on board. No, I know, right? But it's actually the setup of a breakthrough study that sought to not only understand how children learn language, but to also see if an artificial language model could follow along. Wow. All right, so let me see if I'm getting this right. The AI robot was not only studying how the child was learning language, it was also learning language. That's basically it, yeah. And it's actually a big deal for both our understanding of language development in humans and for the future of artificial intelligence. I've got many questions. First of all, (laughs) was this like a Roomba with a camera and a microphone following around the test subject? Oh my gosh, no. But I mean, you're not actually that far off. The researchers fit the toddler with a hat with a head-mounted camera that could basically see and hear everything the toddler could see and hear from her vantage point. So most large language models are trained on millions and billions of words. But human babies don't need that kind of data set to learn to speak. I never thought about that. I mean, AI seems like this crazy smart system that dwarfs most of what humans can do. But the truth is we actually do a lot more with a lot less, right? Absolutely. So the child wore the camera off and on from the time she was six months until she was 25 months, which is just over two years old. It recorded some 600,000 video frames and about 37,500 transcribed utterances. Which is, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but that's way less than the typical large language model data set. Oh, way less. Basically, the system was just observing the world in a way that mimicked the child's observations. And amazingly, it learned to. (laughs) No way, just from observing. I mean, it's something more complicated than that, but yes, it was able to accurately match words to visual objects about 62% of the time and demonstrated the ability to generalize new visual examples with an accuracy of nearly 35%. Okay, so in other words, it could take what it already knew and make fairly accurate guesses about the new stuff. So by feeding this robot toddler with the sights and sounds of a child's world, they can get closer to an understanding of how humans are able to piece together words and meanings. For example, these findings suggest that kids might not need super complex cognitive abilities to start learning language. In other words, parents don't really need to focus on teaching their kids to speak. Simply immersing their kids in the natural environment is enough for them to start making connections on their own. Well, that seems like a reasonable conclusion, but does that also mean that the robot was able to learn in the same way? It does. The machine was able to learn in the same way the kid learned, and that's a big deal for a few reasons. Maybe it means that language models don't need so much input? That's definitely a possibility, but it could also mean that researchers could create more efficient and adaptable AI systems that are able to learn in a more natural environment. Like we do. Exactly. And if an AI robot is learning like we do, then it could also learn to interact with us more naturally, making technology feel less like a tool and more like a companion. I don't know how I feel about that, honestly. (laughs) Like, do we need robot companions? I can't really say. The bigger point is that this research marks a moment where the lines between artificial intelligence and human intelligence begin to blur. Whether that will be an enlightening future or just surreal kind of remains to be seen. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you think of the African landscape, usually you conjure up an image of the savannah. Big open grasslands dotted with trees and flush with biodiversity. And there's a reason we think savannah when we think of Africa. African savannas are massive, covering nearly half of the continent. I mean, just about every wildlife show set in Africa starts out with an establishing wide shot on the open savanna. Lions loping in the distance alongside elephants and enormous herds of wildebeest. I mean, I remember that from like the shows I used to watch. <laughs> exactly. So only about 10% of that savanna is protected. And about 16% of it is home to the endangered savanna elephant. But it's also home to half a billion people. Yeah, that's a problem. I know that so much of the conservation efforts of animals like elephants or white rhinos are a huge challenge because of habitat loss, right? Absolutely. When humans build further and further into the savanna, those natural ecosystems don't stand much of a chance, and the animals in them don't either. So there are two basic conservation strategies to try to give these creatures some space. The fortress and the connected cluster with core and buffer zones. So I'm guessing the fortress strategy of conservation is basically like a wildlife protected zone, like a park sort of? Yeah, exactly. And the connected cluster is just what it sounds like. A cluster of connected core areas that are protected and that link up to less protected buffer zones where some human interaction can actually take place. So is one better than the other? Glad you asked, because that is exactly what researchers in South Africa wanted to know. They recently published a study in the journal Science Advances on the effects of both strategies on populations of endangered savanna elephants. If I had to guess, I'd say the fortress conservation method is probably best because it gives the elephants the most security, but I could be wrong. You're not exactly wrong, but you're not exactly right either. The truth is more complicated. So yes, on the surface, they found that the fortress strategy works pretty well to reduce conflicts with humans and preserve the species. But they also limit the amount of dispersal the animals are capable of, which can lead to genetic isolation and even cause social and ecological issues. Okay, I didn't think about that. A fortress is great unless you want to move around outside of said fortress. And most animals on the African savanna have evolved to roam, right? Right. And this study shows the importance of what's called metapopulation dynamics. These are the dynamics that considers the size and connections between different elephant populations. High population growth is seen in fortress conservation areas, but in connected clusters, populations tend to be more stable in the core areas, perhaps because they're able to mix it up with other populations in the buffer zones. So it sounds like maybe there's a place for both of these conservation strategies on the savanna. Absolutely. And the idea is to protect and connect. Effective conservation will likely need a blend of strict protection, connectivity between areas, and engagement with local human communities. Protect and connect. It's not easy, but studies like these show that there is a path forward to conservation. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. A groundbreaking study suggests that microgravity significantly alters the interaction between lettuce and salmonella, highlighting a crucial challenge for ensuring food safety on extended space flights. 
Researchers developed an AI model that learns language in the same way a child does, using audio and video from a child's perspective, offering profound insights into human language acquisition and paving the way for more intuitive AI systems. A new study has found that larger protected areas connected through buffer zones across southern Africa play a crucial role in the growth and stability of African savanna elephant populations. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can find our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we love if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Our Discovery executive producer is Dominique Vu. Our Wheelhouse DNA executive producer is Cassie Berman. This show is hosted by Callie Gate and Nate Bonham. Our producer is Kiara Noni, and our associate producer is Kimaya Floyd. Writing is done by Sam Osterhout. Sound design, audio engineering, and editing by Nick Karasami. I'm Nate Bonham. And I'm Callie Gade. We'll see you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.